Hey everybody. Uh, glad you could join us today for uh, Hey everybody. Uh, glad you could join us today for uh, Hey everybody. Whoops. All right, there we go. Uh, glad you could join us today for the initial uh, podcast of Ministry Hangouts. And since this is the initial one, uh, there will be some uh, there will be some errors. I will uh, I will just own that up front, but uh, we're going to have some fun. Basically, the idea, and I'll just introduce myself first. I'm Greg Surratt, uh, one of the pastors at Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And currently, I'm also the president of the ARC, the Re- uh, Association of Related Churches. And um, what I thought would be fun is um, to get a group of guys together uh, to talk church. And uh, I, I like doing that, uh, do it periodically, just kind of informally. And I thought we would do it a couple of times a month. We're, we're going to start out with the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month. We'll see how that goes. And uh, what we're going to be doing is introducing a different topic each week. And I'll have uh, mostly new guests. We'll, we'll carry some more. We'll see how these guys do. We might carry some of them along occasionally. <laughs> but uh, we're going we're gonna to mostly have uh, new guests every, every uh, time we do a, a podcast. And we'll have a new topic, uh, uh, and we'll tell you about the topic uh, coming up in, uh, in, in February in just a few minutes. Let me introduce my guests for today. First, I've got Dave Ferguson. Uh, Dave, are you unmuted? Can you say hi? I am unmuted. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing good. Dave's one of my favorite guys. He really is. Uh, other than the fact that he's a White Sox fan and his brother is a Cubs fan, which makes me love his brother just a little bit more. But uh, we've uh, we've been hanging out for a long time. We were kind of one of the original uh, groups on the multi-site wagon, and uh, we learned a lot from Community Christian about how to do that. Let me give you a little formal introduction for those of you who don't know Dave. Dave is the lead pastor of uh, Community Christian uh, in Chicago in the Naperville area, and he's an innovative multi-site missional Community. That's what they identify themselves as. As community, yeah, we got everything in there, didn't we? What's that? Yeah, you got it all in there. <laughs> and uh, they're passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Now, I hear that from you all the time, so I, I think that's accurate. Um, it's grown from just a few college friends to several thousand people in 13 locations throughout Chicagoland. And uh, Dave also provides visionary leadership for New Thing Network. Uh, whose dream is to be a catalyst for a movement of reproducing churches. And uh, he's also co-founder of the Institute um, uh, for Community. And uh, that's kind of a cool deal. You may want to talk about that at some point. He's written several books, uh, The Big Idea, uh, Exponential, and The Verge. And he also gives leadership to the Exponential Conference. And so, Dave, that's you. Welcome. Glad you're here. Hey, it's good to be here. Good. And we also have Jeff Vanderstel. Uh, he's, uh, I'm in Charleston, and he's on the exact opposite end of the country. Uh, Jeff is uh, in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, he's a pastor at Soma Communities, an Acts 29 church, and he's also a leader of leaders and a coach and a trainer for church planters. Um, I got to hang out with Jeff for a few days I don't know, six or eight months ago, and I was blown away, literally blown away about what they're doing uh, at SOMA. Uh, Incredible. One of the most profound uh, influences I've had in this area of missional communities. 
And um, they have the coolest website. Uh, if you, if you want to know what it means to be a missional community, you can just go on their website. I think it's somacommunities.com. Is that what it is, Jeff? .org. .org. And you can get an education on what they've got everything up there. And uh, they also uh, conduct SOMA, SOMA schools, and maybe you'll talk to us a little bit more about that. He serves on the board of Acts 29, and uh, he, uh, he has a wonderful family. We're glad you're here, Jeff. It's good to be here. Thank you. It looks like you got sun and I've got rain. There so. you go. <laughs> that's, that's why we don't live there. All right. And, <laughs> and uh, third, third guest I want to introduce is a friend of mine, Mike Breen. Uh, Mike... Uh, is an American play-by-play sports commentator for the NBA on ABC <laughs> and lead announcer for the New York Knicks. Yeah, that's it. Uh, wait a minute, that's the wrong Mike Breen. Uh, <laughs> this is going to change the whole interview. Let, let, let me give you the Mike Breen I know. Uh, Mike and Sally uh, have been innovators uh, in leading missional churches throughout Europe and uh, the United States for more than 25 years. And um, in their time at St. Thomas's Sheffield in the UK, church that I've had the privilege of, of going and visiting, uh, they were one of the original pioneers of missional communities, uh, which is mid-sized groups of 20 to 50 people. We'll just talk about that in a little bit. Um, in 2006, really exciting, Mike and Sally um, were approached by Leadership Network to uh, establish or to be a part of uh, an innovate, uh, initiative into church planting, and through the partnership, more than 750 churches were planted in Europe just three years. That's incredible. And uh, today they live in South Carolina, just up the road in Polly's Island, and they lead 3DM, which is a, a movement that is helping hundreds of established churches and church planters to move into the uh, church uh, missional community and discipleship uh, kind of movement. It had a profound Profound impact on me, uh, and uh, in fact, one of the one of the the read books that you need. He's got three of them: launching missional communities. He's got a lot of books, but these are recent ones. Uh, Building a discipleship culture. That book, more than anything else, uh, impacted us at Seacoast about how we do discipleship. And then he's got a great one called Covenant and Kingdom. That's more theological, and it's a little deep for me, but uh, our our people love. <laughs> You will absolutely love it. <laughs> so anyway, Mike, great to have you. Good to be here, bro. Okay. And let me introduce just a couple of other guys that you see on the screen. Uh, Sean Wood, who's a longtime staff member at Seacoast, uh, was. Now he's a church planter at Freedom Church in Monk's Corner, and he'll be monitoring your comments. Sean, tell us how um, you can ask questions uh, through this podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a couple of different ways, Greg, the questions can be asked. One is hashtag ministry hangout on Twitter, which we've already got a question or two coming in that way. You can also, I'll be monitoring the YouTube feed. So if you're watching on YouTube, um, I'll be able to also uh, see your comments down there and we can uh, get your questions from there. And so that's the ways to get those questions in. We've already got a, uh, a comment from the Netherlands. Hey. It must be that European deal going on. There is just before bed in the Netherlands. All right, and uh, one one more guest is Jack Hoy, and uh, Jack is uh, a Seco staff member. He works closely with me on a lot of things. Uh, he's our resident theologian and uh, church history buff and all around agitator. That's basically what he does is agitate things, and I've asked him to do that a little bit. Let me tell you how. We'll get right into it. 
we are going to talk about missional communities today, but every week on the podcast or the weeks that we have it, and I hope to go weekly before too long, it'll be easier for you to remember, but uh, we're going to take a little segment first before we get into the topic of the day. We're going to call This Week in Church News, and uh, we're going to scour the wires and find out what's happening. Maybe we'll comment just a little bit on it. So, Jack, what did you find this week in church news? Yeah, uh, the uh, probably the big thing was the inauguration of uh, President Obama's second term just happened. And the big story surrounding that was uh, Louis Giglio uh, backing out of, or uh, some would say disinvited, from delivering the benediction at the inauguration uh, because of a sermon he gave about 20 years ago. Uh, and in that sermon, he established his belief in marriage being between a man and a woman and that uh, homosexual sex was a sin. And his backing out or whatever happened there um, prompted a lot of people to speak out. I hear a couple. Tony Perkins, the president of the Family Research Council, he wrote in the Christian Post, which is an online um, Christian news aggregation site, uh, inauguration of a new era of religious intolerance. And Albert Moeller, the president of the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote, Americans have entered the moral McCarthyism era of our time. Instead of asking if people are members of the Communist Party, the question will be, are you now or have you ever been one who believes that homosexuality or bisexuality, transsexualism, and so on, is anything less than morally acceptable? So he was pretty hyped up about this, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happened was uh, Giglio voluntarily stepped down, and he released a statement, and this is what it, or part of it, said. Uh, he wrote, due to a message of mine that has surfaced from 15 to 20 years ago, it is likely that my participation and the prayer I would offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the inauguration. Uh, he then explained in a letter that he sent to the White House, clearly speaking on this issue has not been in the range of my priorities in the past 15 years. Instead, my aim has been to call people to ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ. Okay. So that's what happened. That's what Louis said. How do you guys feel about that? Anybody, uh, you know, should he have stepped down or should he have held his ground? How did he handle that? Anybody? Anybody want to jump in on that? Well, I mean, I don't know what the other guys think, but um, it, it, it sounds very familiar to me coming from Europe. Um, it, it sounds like an entirely secular state um, expecting the church, when it's fulfilling a civic function, to agree with the moral framework of that secular state, uh, rather than offering a prophetic voice. And um, in a way, I'm slightly surprised that um, given the, the importance of the church-state divide in America, that um, there's not been more comment in that, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me that there's such a big issue about the church and state being separated here that, um, that you even have people praying over the inauguration. It is quite odd to me, to be quite honest with you. I, I find it a strangely conflicting reality. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what other people think, but it, it, it feels all very familiar to me as a European. Okay. Um, what, do you, what do you think about what Louis did? Anybody? I'm, I'm not really sure he had a choice. I mean, because, I mean, should he have done what he did? I mean, if he got disinvited, I mean, it's not like he had a choice at that point, did he? Well, well he could have. I don't know that he got disinvited. That may have been my words in there, but... Uh, I, don't think he did. I don't think he could have turned up with a bullhorn and still done a prayer, could he? I mean, 
there was going to be somebody else on the platform. Yeah, yeah. It, what was interesting is they um, they got a guy from the Episcopal Church who is kind of his church prides itself on being um, gay friendly, and he uh, prayed. I think at um, George W. Bush's inauguration, which is interesting, in that I don't think uh, that that Bush probably leaned that direction as far as his beliefs, and yet they they uh, they had a guy pray there. So um, yeah, it's you know it seems to me, Mike, uh, what you were saying is that um, I guess the reality for me is that we are becoming a more and more secular or secular society. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's there's an intolerance toward a, a quote evangelical uh, point of view, uh, but I guess it shouldn't surprise us much because, uh, um, you know, if you think this is a Christian nation, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure we're there. Anybody else? Yeah, I know for us, for me in the Northwest, this, that really wasn't surprising at all. I mean, that's the culture I live in. That you know, they just legalize gay marriage, they legalize marijuana. Um, so there's a, I mean, this is the culture I live in all the time, and we're often wondering if we'll ever, you know, get in trouble just for not being willing to do weddings like that. So, so it's a, it's an ongoing challenge we face daily. So I don't know if I was surprised, um, and I don't know the question maybe not the best question in the sense that I don't know if he had a choice to stay up there or not. It does it does raise the question: What are we going to do in terms of being a prophetic voice in our country? How are we going to do it with grace and truth? Um, and I'm, regularly I say to other leaders, I don't think we have a right to speak out against something if we're not also going to be for something as well as be with people. And so the way we continue to address it is we need to, if we don't have friends who are struggling with that issue, then we probably don't speak with a whole lot of empathy or care. So I regularly ask pastors, do you have friends that are gay? And are you working through that with them and trying to understand? Mm-hmm. And then second, are you for marriage? Because... Um, right now in the church, divorce, the divorce rate is extremely high, and we can say we're anti one thing, but we're not really doing a whole lot to change the, the rate of divorce in our churches. So there's some things I think we need to work on and, and take the log out of our eye potentially in this process. Good word, John. We need to do a session on how to be a prophetic word in today's in today's society and talk about this for the whole time. Dave, I, I think. I think. Yeah. I think. Well, there's. I mean. You can, even right now, I feel like, even with the few of us, you feel a little bit of attention because we are in a public forum of actually saying anything out loud. And I think that speaks to the, speaks to the existing reality. That there, there is almost no conversation uh, between you know, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community and the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if there's no conversation then it can never never can move forward and 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 I think there's I think there's a fair about a guilt on both sides of the equation where um, I find people in the church who often want to know well do you think it's a sin and then that's the end of the conversation right and they don't really treat them as whole people and then I also I also well, I'll get emails or I have conversations from people who, from from uh, people who are part of the you know the gay community and it's like are you inclusive and that's kind of the end of the conversation for them and I think we've got to find a way and it probably won't start in public forums like this, which which makes this show less interesting. <laughs> uh, but I think we got to find forums where we can actually have that conversation face to face. And because before you you can never get to a kind of a, a, a have any kind of a moral authority, I think you have to have a relational authority. And I think that's what's lacking, probably both personally and uh, and corporately, in, in a lot of our lives and a lot of the churches uh, as well. 
Well mm -hmm. said. Well, uh, Jeff, we don't smoke our marijuana legally here, but we like <laughs> our guns in the South. So <laughs> that's a whole other issue. Yeah. All right. So I, I tell you what, let's kind We've of. We've got plenty of leaves that are funding church planting down there, I'm sure. Yeah, so we do. We do. Um, <laughs> let's talk just a little bit because I think it does lead into it. We are, we find ourselves, I mean, I planted Seacoast 25 years ago. And, of course, I'm in the south. We, uh, Charleston is a unique city in that it is not Bible Belt so much as, you know, uh, maybe a Greenville or, or some of the other southern cities. It's kind of a cosmopolitan area. But that being said, uh, it's a different climate. Uh, you know, uh, church planners will ask me, what would you do differently? And, I, you know, I've got an answer, but I'm, I'm not sure that uh, what I did 25 years ago relates very, very much to the culture that we're in. Uh, today, it's almost like uh, as a missionary, you got to learn a new language. And uh, we are in a rapidly growing non-church secular culture. And um, we're going to talk about missional communities in that context. Uh, what does it mean? First of all, let's just go to the basics. Anybody want to define what a missional, what it means to live missionally and then missionally in community? Uh, for me, anybody want to tackle that? I nominate Mike Breen. You nominate Mike Breen. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dave. That's awesome. Um, well, as I've been nominated, Julie, and I'm sure that there's a second somewhere. Um, I um, I think that um, living in in community in mission um, is quite simply that what you're what you're doing is you're seeking to express the covenant community that God offers us in Jesus expressed in the gathered people of of his of his church on mission fulfilling the call of Jesus to continue and complete his mission to this world and um, uh, what we found is that the the simplest way to do that is to rediscover the extended family size unit as the means by which these things can happen if you leave people alone long enough, they reinvent the extended family, a gathering of between 20 and 50 people of blood and non-blood relationships. And if you give that group of people a mission, they are much more likely to fulfill it than if you give it to an individual or a small group of people uh, that might be a kind of a, an expression of a nuclear family. So, so I would say uh, a missional community is... Um, is a community of God's people living in covenant uh, relationship with one another, seeking to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Okay. Anybody want to add anything to that, Jeff or Dave? Yeah, I would just say when, when we think about missional, we tend to think of, at SOMA, we say basically everybody's recapturing kind of the apostolic uh, edge of the church that we're always being sent. So God is always sending his people out into the world to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. And then a missional community is that now we're sent together. And uh, like I would agree with Mike, the way we've defined it is it's a family of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples. So they love like family to show the world what a disciple's like. That's how the world Jesus said would know. Uh, they're sent to show what the kingdom of God looks like by being servants to others as Christ served us. And they're on mission to make disciples by proclaiming Jesus and giving a uh, reason for the hope that we have when we live a life that's radically different than the world. The goal is that we would make disciples who then also can make disciples so the world might be filled with the glory of God in all things. So 
That's how we tend to define it. Family of missionaries here and send us disciples who make disciples. That's a great definition. Yeah, um, I, love, I love those three things, family, servant, mission. I mean, in a phrase, a community, we, and we keep, always try to keep things pretty simple. We, we would just call it, and again, we realize we're speaking primarily to Christians, is uh, a community with a cause. A community with a cause. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just, uh, Sean, there's a, a question or two from church planters in here that may relate to this. Let's carry it now, and then we'll get back into missional community a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, two questions from Twitter. I'll go with first from Philip Wilson, who is a church planter uh, who's starting to establish a core, says he wants to know how do you shape the DNA into the culture, and I would assume the DNA especially of mission, into the culture from the very beginning. And uh, then in a similar vein, um, I am Ryan Fisher on Twitter says, what are the best ways to connect to your community as you gather the pre-launch core? Uh, so that getting that pre-launch core, you're gathering it pre-launch uh, time. How do you connect that to the community? Yeah. yeah what do you do? Um, what do you? Do, how would you, if you were? Well, let me go back just a little bit, uh, Dave. Um, you pastor a very large uh, mega church in the Chicago area, and it's kind of like uh, you are. I don't know if it's fair to say you're turning the ship toward a more missional kind of culture. Is that fair to say, or have you guys kind of had that from day one? There's some there's some components that I think that we've clearly had as far as evangelism and reproduction, but as far as actually making sure we're mobilizing every person for mission, that's a shift we've been on the last two years at least. Okay. And Jeff, you, uh, you came from a very large church in Chicago, really, really, really large church in Chicago, and uh, Willow World, and then you planted uh, Soma with a little bit different kind of strategy. Uh, and uh, maybe you could address, you know, if you're going to start all over, if you're going to talk to a church planner about how do you, how do you start a church, what, what would you say? Uh, how, do you, how do you shape the DNA in the culture from the beginning? And uh, uh, how, how do you connect your community as you gather pre-launch? Well, the best carrier of the DNA is the individual disciple. And so you're going to have to actually set the DNA into people. It can't be just set into only the structures or the programs. It's got to be set into the people who are going to be the carriers of the DNA. Which, if I were, you know, this is what we did in the beginning, I'd do it again. If you're going to plant a church with a strong DNA, you're going to have to put a significant amount of time into that core and establishing the DNA with them so they can actually reproduce it into others. And it's going to be relational in nature in terms of its carrying ability. Uh, and then I think you, you asked, how our structure is going to be set up in such a way that it doesn't inhibit the carrying of that DNA or prohibit the passing on of the DNA. Uh, so do our structures create an environment that actually support that almost like a petri dish that that DNA is going to multiply and grow out or is it going to keep it from growing out and expanding into other people's lives? Can you give me so, a, for instance, what, what could be in the culture that would prohibit the DNA from kind of expanding out? Well, one of the things could be either a stated or unstated expectation that no one will ever leave our church, um, that we, we don't expect you to ever go plant a church or to leave and go join another worker, go to another part of the world. And oftentimes that's not stated, but what we value is people staying. And so the longer they stay, the better we feel about our success. And that can actually create a culture that says we don't really want this to go beyond our ability to control it or uh, manage it. And that will actually prevent... 
a missional a heartbeat in the church because you'll be saying fundamentally, we really don't want sending to take place. Um, and that will actually kill the DNA of being, tra being transferred beyond your control. Okay. I think, um, uh, Jeff, Greg, if I, if I could jump in here, I think Jeff's uh, dead on um, because I think it is an issue about DNA. But I, I think it's, it's also to do with the way in which if you're to ex you kind of develop that idea of DNA and say, let's think about building a family and um, let's, let's think about building uh, a place where multiple families on mission can be can be gathered together and can can find a, a, a place of significance and identity. I think um, I think what you do is you create repeatable systems that become predictable. And so you know if you want kids who are secure, then the way that you you, you help them to become secure is that you give them predictable realities in their life that build security. So. Uh, you know, if you were, if you were to take the basic three dimensions of Jesus' life, the upward dimension towards his father, the inward dim dimension towards the building of the covenant community, and the outward dimension towards reaching the world, the lost, the last, the least. If, if, you, if you saw those three dimensions and simply built those into a predictable pattern of community life. So, you know, at certain times you do up, certain times you do in, certain times you do out. What, what begins to happen is that that DNA not only gets transferred, but grows, flourishes, and matures on the basis of those repeatable, predictable systems. And I think they're enormously important, to be honest with you, especially for that guy who's starting out right now. That, that's the kind of thing that he needs to be doing. That's great. I, one of the uh, – uh, we've been majorly uh, impacted and challenged by your triangle, by some of your shapes, but – for me, especially the triangle, it yeah. makes it so clear. We have an up dimension, an out, uh, and an in. And uh, I know when we spoke together a few months ago, you were using the words um, uh, um, passionate, uh, yeah. spirituality as yeah. being the up, yeah. radical community as being the in, yeah. and missional zeal as yeah. being the out. Yeah. And if we can just infuse every piece of our DNA, where that's small group, mid-sized communities, even the weekend, with the comment of, or, or with the concept of, of, hey, how are we doing on passionate spirituality? How are we doing on radical community? How are we doing on missional zeal? We measure that. We've gone so far as now uh, as to even looking at our weekend services, and we still have a very attractional model on our weekend service. And we're looking at attractional, depending on who you are and what you think is attractional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, when I'm up there, it's very attractional. But anyway, uh, we, we look at the series that we do, you know, whether that's a book of the Bible or whatever it happens to be. And is this, is this going to stoke the passionate spirituality? Is it going to stoke radical community? Is it going to stoke missional zeal? And what's the need right now? We can't do them all at once. Sometimes it comes together better than, than other times. Uh, and uh, that's on the, the, the macro level, on the micro level, is really helping your leaders see uh, that they're that, that, to be intentional uh, in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way of doing it. Dave? I want to, yeah, I, I love Mike's stuff. And I think one of the things that Mike and 3DM have been brilliant about 
which is almost identical to up, in, and out. So we'll talk about celebrate is your relationship with God, and connect is your relationship in the community, in the, with the church, and then contribute is your relationship with the rest of the world and how you're engaging the world. And so you program things around that. You challenge people to become what we call 3C Christ followers. We have a dashboard, and our dashboard actually measures how we're doing in each of these areas, 1C, 2C, 3Cs. Are we moving people along in the discipleship process? And um, I, I, I mean, I think it's, and I think it's important that we take some of the challenging things of Scripture but make them very simple for people to understand, one, so they can apply it, but two, and I think all of us have this kind of a passion, if we want to see a movement, a movement always has to be that kind of simple and reproducible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Let, let me ask you, uh, we, you know, most of us have been involved in small group ministry within the church. You know, that, that was kind of the rage. Let's see, first there was buses, and if you would do buses, your church would grow. And <laughs> You're old. Don't, you're really old, man. I'm very old. You know, I look good. But I've been put hard and put away wet, you know. But uh, there's there was there was buses, and then there were cells. You know, if you if you did cells, if you did uh, small groups, uh, your church would grow, and then multi-site. Now, it, you know, missional is the buzz. Uh, let's connect those two just a little bit. Um, it, I guess I could ask: Is it a buzz, or you know, is this a lasting thing? Is um, how are how is it missional communities or a missional zeal or whatever? How is that different, or is it the same as small groups? If I had a church that was, you know, built on a small group system, and I wanted to, first of all, why would I want to, you know, become more missional? Let's say, and is it the same? Is it very, very similar? Anybody want to tackle that? It seemed like the goal of small groups um, was uh, maybe a couplefold. One, retention. Um, how do we get people and keep them? Mm-hmm. And um, and then how do we also make sure they're cared for well? Because it, as the church grows larger, it's hard to make sure they are cared for well. And I think I, those aren't all together bad things. But I think that where a missional community is quite a bit different. It's yes, we wanna we want them to be cared for well, but we believe them. This is this what I would say. I think the others believe this. Um, we believe the best place to actually develop people is not primarily by being with only Christians, but to also engage them in the mission of God in the world. And so it's it's actually a means by which we think discipleship will happen. And so it's not primarily only for retention, but it's also for expansion and sending outside of just the gathered church on Sunday. And that seems to be a pretty significant difference than what small groups were for. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, we... Um... We, we had a whole small group ministry in Sheffield, and as we began to bring in these repeatable patterns of up and out, what we discovered was, and we, we kind of created a, a little axiom that helped us, uh, which was that a small group is small enough to care, but not big enough to dare. And um, what, what we found was that the missional aspect was very difficult for a small group to engage with, I mean, it may well have been that they'd been kind of um, inoculated against it because of the, the nature of the way that they'd been set up. But, but again, if you look at the way in which human society has usually been organized, and by that I don't mean, you know, the latter stage of the 20th century and the early stage of the 21st century in the West, but, you know, around the world now and throughout human history, nuclear family has usually found its place of security within an extended family. 
And um, I think there is a place for small groups, but I would say that those small groups tend to do better if they're set within a larger group that can sustain that three-dimensional lifestyle. Okay. What, uh, what would you... You know, what, what would you say to a, a pastor that says, um, we want to go, <laughs> uh, go is not a good word, but we want to become more missional? Yeah. Uh, let, let me back up just a minute. There's a question. Sean, give us a question. I think there's a question uh, um, coming in that um, from um, Britt. Can you, can you give us that one? Yeah, Britt Wendell on uh, Twitter um, asked a question. He says, what prophetic voice or word has led uh, you all to change your DNA uh, or thoughts or leadership into a more missional focus. And so maybe what, what was it that caused you to want to steer the ship three years ago, Dave? Or what was it, Greg, that caused you guys to do that? Or Jeff, what caused you when you left uh, Willow to have a new mindset? Was there some kind of word or prophetic voice? Um, and then a second question, just to, to go ahead and put out there, um, is uh, for Dave maybe to follow up on at some point, is what does the dashboard look like? Um, and how do you measure that? Uh, and then again, to those watching, if you'd like to ask a question on Twitter, hashtag Ministry Hangout, uh, we're monitoring those questions and can get those to uh, the guest and uh, discuss them as we can. Okay. What was the what was the prophetic voice or the word that led you uh, to change? There were three for me. I'll try to do them quickly. One, uh, my dad had been in the church for 40 years, had served in a variety of ways, pretty, pretty much everything you can imagine. And a, uh, he confided with me one day that he never really knew how to make disciples. And um, so that was a big deal that someone could be in the church that long and not know how to make disciples. And my dad's a great guy and hospitable and probably led many people to Christ but just didn't understand what it meant to help them go beyond that. Second, um, I've done youth ministry for 14 years, and I continue to watch kids that I trained to do ministry in everyday life leave the church after they graduated because they found no place in the church for people to do ministry. They found a place for people to volunteer on Sunday, but not to actually be engaged in everyday life ministry. So it seemed to not value the rest of life as the mission field. And then third, um, I had you know, been in churches like Will and others where I saw great programs and lots of evangelistic emphasis but increasingly the number of people in the church that didn't know how to lead someone to Christ and disciple anybody was just evident across the board and knew that something's got to change in the way we're doing this because we're not actually accomplishing what this the kind of big E on the I chart, and that's making disciples. So those are the three big ones for me. Okay. I think for me, I think for me Greg, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave, you go ahead. I'll, just, I'll be quick. I think for us, I mean, Literally, when, I mean, when John and I and a few friends started community, I mean, we had kind of a threefold vision, and, and it was a little bit grandiose, but it was our prayer. Then phase three, we'd love to see this thing become a catalyst for a movement. And so we did think movement, and we thought reproduction from the very beginning. And so it wasn't, you know, so many years into it, and, you know, Greg, that's when we kind of started our adventure together, where we not only were reproducing, you know, groups and teams and, and things like that, but we began to reproduce sites, and then after that, we started reproducing a lot of churches do new thing and what's going on there, but then I think it was probably, uh, probably primarily um, our, in my relationship with Alan Hirsch and, and Alan and I in our conversations, I began to understand that movement, really, in a very simply put, I'll just give you an equation, was is kind of multiplying our, our mobilizing people. That's the first part of the equation: mobilizing people plus multiplying churches. That equals a missional movement. 
And I began to look at that three-part equation and going, okay, we're doing a great job of multiplying you know, campuses and churches, and we're doing that, but we're not mobilizing every person for mission. And so it was kind of like, you know, we, we, were, we were working uh, at, at, mul at multiplying real, and, and doing a good job at that, but we weren't getting the maximum redemptive potential out of all of our people. And so that's when we kind of backed up and said, okay, now how do we get this first part of the equation? Really, how do we mobilize every person for mission? And I think um, it, it was kind of a, a reawakening of how to actually go ahead and accomplish that big picture dream that we'd had for a long time. And uh, so that's why we kind of got after it fast and furious the last couple of years. Okay. Mike? Yeah, it may reflect my age. I'm obviously a lot older than all these other guys. But um, uh, I was ordained in, in 83. and um, Wow. Yeah, a long time ago. I was obviously 13. Um, but um, the, uh, I, was, uh, I was ordained in 83, and very soon after that, the British church census came out, and it revealed that the, the church was losing 2,000 people a week, and they were not replaced. So literally every week we were losing 2,000 believers from church. And, um, and it was just catastrophic. I, I, I can remember sitting there thinking, we have to press the reset button. And so literally, that's what I felt there was the, the necessity to do. And uh, spent, you know, the next several decades working on pressing that reset button. Because clearly what we were doing, even amongst the evangelical, um, the, the evangelical quadrant within the, within the English church, we simply weren't doing it. And we weren't achieving any of the objectives that we'd set for ourselves. And... Um, I, I think that that was the main word. I, I think the word from God was, you're failing. And um, I think being able to embrace that was enormously important for me. Well, for us, um, I think it was similar to Dave in that, um, wow, we gathered a crowd. What if we, what if we all got them in the game? You know, I heard an illustration a few years ago that said that the church is kind of like football uh, with uh, – 22 men in desperate need of rest being cheered on by 50,000 people in desperate need of exercise. Yeah. And, uh, and I could see that in our church, uh, that we had gathered quite a crowd. What if we, what if we could mobilize 12 or 15,000 people to actually do, um, uh, you, know, you know, to do ministry in the community? And then um, we, we did a very programmatic thing that opened my eyes. A few years ago, we joined with Rick Warren and did Purpose Driven Community. And uh, we, we said, let's, let's, okay, here's what we're going to do. We, we've got 500 small groups, I think, at the time. And we're going to um, ask each one of you to take a look at a piece of the community that's broken. And we're not going to centralize it. We're going we're gonna to let you figure it out. I'm a big decentralized guy. Um, you know, the, uh, Starfish and Spider is like a, a Bible for me. I just, I just love the book. Um, you know, centralize when you have to, decentralize everything else. And so we said, go, go figure it out. You're close to everything. And the, the momentum that came from that was incredible. It was just absolutely incredible. Now, uh, just because you're going and painting a school doesn't mean you're being missional. You know, we, we figured that out too, that it has to, you know, somehow include a rhythm of the gospel. Uh, but it was something that really got me thinking. And then uh, I came into contact with Mike Breen. And uh, he, uh, he ruined me uh, for the ordinary, I think, and uh, just loved some of the concepts. And, and then being around Alan Hirsch in a group with uh, with the other two guys who are here, Jeff Anderselt and Dave Ferguson, um, 
uh, challenging me for the the growing. Yeah, I, I think I think he does a little illustration where you've got you know the world is a ball and you've got forty uh, percent of the world that is that will probably be attracted or reached by an attractional model, sixty percent by a missional model, and the sixty percent's growing and the forty percent shrinking. Now, where I live, you probably can flip those numbers. You know, I mean, we're we're in the South. It's not Seattle. It's not you know Tacoma or, or even Chicago. And uh, so you got to contextualize it to your own uh, place. But anyway, that that was some of the things that got me. Hey, we're 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 doing good. We're bumping up some time. I want to I want to hit a couple of things that are very interesting to me. I don't know if they be, we will be uh, to anybody else. But uh, the concept of rhythms is something that lit me up. Mike talked about rhythms a little bit of sustaining missional rhythms. I went to Jeff Vander uh, Stelt's church, and I mean they are married to rhythms. Uh, I think uh, rhythms of discipleship. And then uh, uh, Dave, uh, Dave and I made a discovery at the same time. He claims that he did it first, but it, it was Alan. <laughs> it was Alan. It was Alan Hirsch at Soma that rattled our cage, and. Uh, and he's just done more with it than I have. So talk to me a little bit. Uh, Jeff, I'd love for you to talk to us about rhythms. What, what are your rhythms of discipleship? What does that mean? Yeah, well, we realize that when you tell people to get on mission and make disciples, they don't really know what to do. They're kind of like stuck. And yet at, their, at the same time, they don't know that they're already engaged in rhythms of life that can be engaged with a missional mindset. And so... Uh, we realize if we're going to send people to other parts of the world, we need to train them to engage in other cultures in the rhythms of life that those people would walk in with gospel intentionality. And then we just said, well, what are those kind of everyday normal rhythms of life that everybody does? We're not asking people to go do another thing to their busy life. We're asking them to do what they already do with gospel intentionality. And so we just asked, well, what are those things you normally do? Well, you eat. So what if you, instead of just eating alone, you ate with other people? Are you ate with people you were trying to share the gospel with, uh, the people that you're on a mission to reach? Uh, so eat, bless. You've been given things for a reason. Now what if you use those to bless others that you're trying to reach? So you've been blessed to be a blessing. Celebrate. Engage in partying in a way that's very intentional. And have the parties, throw the parties, invite people to the parties, like Jesus did the wedding feast in Cana, or going to other people's parties and bringing the better wine, as it were, or bringing the towel to wash up and clean up afterwards. So it's the celebration of things. Uh, there's yeah, a stop, stop there just a second, because I yes. love celebration and party thing. When, when we were at Soma, I think you said something like, uh, uh, create a party or find a party and make the party better. You know, so, yeah. so, like bring the better wine. Yeah, yeah and, and Christians don't know how to celebrate well. I think we, we've learned how to celebrate through music, you know, like when we gather, we celebrate quite quite a bit better than we used to years ago. But I'm not sure that we know how to throw really good parties. But one of the requirements of an elder is hospitality, knowing, knowing how to open a home, create a space where people feel cared for, welcome, known. And, and yet I, don't, I think we've lost the art of hospitality in the church, and it's maybe one of the most easy ways to engage in missional intentionality. So engaging in that uh, very intentionally. We use uh, recreate as a rhythm, so you should get into a rhythm of resting. Like there should be normative resting in your life, but as well there should be a creative process in your life where you're working out of rest and resting in the gospel primarily, but then coming out and saying, what are we going to do creatively? Or how are we going to see work as under the Lord so that the 60% the of your life actually matters? Do that intentionally under the Lord as a way to show the world what God's like through your everyday activity. Um, 
Another one is story form. We teach everybody to know the overarching story of the God, of the Word of God, so from redemp the redemption plan from Genesis to Revelation, but then to know that everybody lives their life under an over uh, under an overarching story, and that's really just doing worldview work. Like, what is shaping your life? Get to know someone's story so you can understand what's shaping their beliefs, so then you'll know how to share the gospel when given the opportunity. And then listen uh, was the other one. Just be ready to regularly listen to the Spirit, listen to what people are saying. Probably often you need, you need to shut up once in a while, because if you listen long enough, you'll probably find out the real needs of the heart. Then you'll know how to bless. Then you'll know their story. Then you'll know how to engage in the rhythms of celebrate. You'll actually then know how to do mission if you slow down to listen to people regularly and listen to the Spirit at the same time. That's so those good. are the ones that we teach. And I think those are on your website, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yep. So you can go to summercommunities.org and find them. Yep. Okay. Dave, share, share our idea, will you? Yeah, so here's the idea that I stole from Greg and then published. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, this, this goes, I mean, we go back to Genesis, and we think God's strategy for changing the world was through a blessing strategy. You know, I blessed you so you can be a blessing to others, a blessing to the rest of the world. And so based on that kind of a theological premise, then we also, and then we took the word blessed, because again, we love everything to be simple and reproducible so people can put it into life. And you'll notice a lot of them are very similar to, to Jeff's, so we're on the same page. And, and what we, so we have five missional practices, and we ask people to do one of these every day, and then in your missional group, to check in and just start the group with, who did you bless this week? And, uh, and real quickly, the five are, first of all, be for begin with prayer. So it's the question of, you know, who are you praying for or what community are you praying for? So you're praying for them, somebody every day. There's, there's three different people that I pray for every day, including in addition to a divine appointment that I always ask God for. Uh, then the second practice is to listen. Uh, whether you're a church planner moving into a brand new neighborhood, you've got to listen to your community. They'll tell you what they need before you decide. Um, or if it's someone you're trying to build a relationship with. I mean, Christians are, and it probably speaks to that, the first issue we talked about, we're a lot more known for opening our mouths and giving our opinions than we are listening. Um, and so the second thing practice is just to listen. The third is to eat. For, for those of us that are slightly driven, like myself, you want to get all five of them done, this slows you down. So that's relational. You have to invite them over to your house or find a place where you make reservations to go out to eat together. So you eat. The, the fourth practice is S, you serve. Because once you've prayed for them, listened to them, ate with them, they will tell you how to love them. They'll mm -hmm. tell you how to serve them. And then you have to deliver on that. And the, the last practice, the last is story. And that's where you get a chance to share your story. And so we ask people to do, just do one of those every day. Even if it's just praying for somebody, that's okay. But do one of those every day. And then in your missional group every week, ask each other, start it with, who would you bless this week? That's excellent. Is that... Dave, is that in print anywhere? Or work, uh, could somebody get a hold of that? Yeah, yeah there's two different places, actually. Um, if you want to get the free ebook, it's at exponential.org. It's one of the free ebooks there. We have a chapter on each of those practices. Um, if you want to get the book in paperback, I think it's 10 bucks on Missio Publishing. So you can go to okay. Missio Publishing, they have it there. Okay, great. Mike, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, I mean, I think all of those guys just said is brilliant. The. Um, the thing that we tend to do is we, again, try to build in these repeatable patterns. And so uh, we'll agree as a, as a community which shops we're going to shop in, which restaurants we're going to frequent, and which coffee shops we're going to sit in, so that we're not just kind of throwing the, the seed of the gospel to the wind, but we're focusing in specific places where we're sensing that there is a person of peace. 
And um, by personal peace, I mean the strategy that Jesus gave his disciples in Luke 10, where, you know, you go out, you, you, you do all of the things that the guys have been saying, but then you begin to locate your focus where there are people who are open to you and to your message. And it's been fascinating for us. I mean, we, we started to go to a coffee shop. Honestly, it wasn't that good. Um, the Starbucks was way better. But we just sense that there's a real openness there. Well, we've got a whole kind of thing going on there now. There's a gathering. Uh, there, the, the, all of the people that go there are starting to come to that gathering. I mean, it's because there's this person of peace there. And so, and so I think that the intentionality of looking for the person of peace is enormously important because, because then you know what you're trying to do once you've got there, if you see what I mean. Yeah, you guys are living in community. And I don't mean you're all living together, but you're living in yeah. community in the poly Polly's Island area, and so you're yeah. going, hey, anybody know a person of peace? Yeah, there's one at this coffee store. Well, why don't we all kind of go there, at least a bunch of us. Let's hang out and see what happens. Exactly, yeah. and it's amazing how it works. That's great. That's actually something that we've been borrowing from you, Mike. That's been real helpful for us, and so thanks for that. I wish yeah. you thank Jesus, actually. But, uh, I think it's Luke 10. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, but we've also, another piece that we that's been helpful for us is when people identify who or you know, where, because it can be, it's, hopefully it's both, um, then they actually help them form what we call a missional community covenant, where they actually shape up, this is how we're going to spend the next year together, and it's actually written down, they, they shape it, they form it, we give them a template to work with, and then we publicly commission them to that work for a year, and coach them on that, and check in on that, and say, how's it going? And then each year they redo it, which allows them to get better at growing in their ability because they realize they didn't do so well in certain areas, let's, re, let's reshape it. That's been a great process for training, just to have them do that over and over again. That's cool. Can I, can I jump in here, Greg? Yeah. Because I, I, want, I want to put an exclamation point behind what Jeff said, because uh, when, you know, when you and I were out in, uh, visiting Jeff's place there, Soma, I mean, that was one of the ideas we stole from them, mm -hmm. which I thought was really brilliant. Um, and so after being there, now this will be our second year of doing that, uh, in addition to having kind of a clarity about the mission and a clarity about the practices, we actually started putting this this kind of covenant in place. And so we were asking all of our groups, come together, make up your, what kind of a group are you, but then also what's, write a mission statement together. And um, that's been, and then we actually get them up at one of our locations, you know, across Chicago, and we either pray over them, anoint them, or some way bless them and commission them. But those, that combination of, of a mission statement and then also a commissioning is, has added a lot of, uh, I don't just a lot of energy and fervor to uh, for for us. That's been a really good thing. I'm stealing it right. In, I'm I'm stealing it right now, Jeff. All of our missional communities all over the world are stealing it right now. <laughs> this listen. Uh, this podcast will be available. Sean, tell us uh, how we can get because I want honestly. There's such good information. I want all of our leaders uh, to watch this, and uh, then then we can discuss it together. Sean, where where can you get on this podcast after this? Uh, we'll be making the podcast available immediately. Um, we'll be available on a YouTube channel as well as embedded at ministryhangouts.com, uh, and there'll be a link there. It'll be uh, when you first go to the page, it'll be the first one that's there, so it'll be easy to find. Uh, we will also be converting it into a podcast that people can subscribe to, um, but immediately available on YouTube and on ministryhangouts.com. Okay, great. I'm serious. I want all of our leaders, uh, and if you're, on, if you're online from Seacoast, you need to go watch this again. And somehow, because if you have small groups in your church, they become missional, I think, just as you infuse up in and out in them. 
you, know, you infuse some of these principles, and then suddenly, rather than just a group doing a Bible study, we're a group on mission. Um, there's so much more we could talk about. We're going to have to pull it down here a little bit. I want I want to do a real quick it segment. This, this will be a segment that we're going to try to do every time. I'm going to call it it, and it's this. What have you read, written, or seen recently that you can't quit thinking about? And this is the time you can shamelessly push your own stuff, you know, or maybe there's something else that, uh, you know, an event or book, or maybe there's something else that you just, uh, and Dave, I know you got to leave here uh, pretty quickly. Why don't you, uh, why don't you start out? What's your it? Um, you gave me a little bit of heads up because you sent me an email about it this morning. So I was thinking about, it. there's this weird, it's a weird thing. Someone, I had, and it's only been a conversation, a couple articles that I've read, but, and uh, Mike might know a little more about this, but it goes back to the Olympics and the, I mean, Great Britain did better than they've done in maybe ever or in years in the Olympics. Ever. Yeah, okay, ever. They were third. I think they had 69 medals behind the behind the U.S. behind China. So it was outstanding. But it's, I think it started with the with the biking team and then a few others. They began to implement this practice that they called the aggregation of incremental gains. This is not necessarily theological, but it's, you asked me what I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the aggregation of incremental gains. And so they begin to look at the way they trained leading up to the Olympics for like four years. Did you tell me this, Greg? If it's good, I did. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> Somebody put me onto it. And it was, uh, and basically they took a look at everything they did in their practice and everything, like the smallest of things, like even, even regularly washing their hands. And so they became just very small things, began to regularly wash their hands so they would make sure they didn't get uh, any kind of uh, a cold and they wouldn't miss practice. Anything they could do to incrementally Make their make what their their performance better, and the aggregate all these incremental gains. They're crediting that with all their success in the in the Olympics. And um, hmm. so I'm I'm just been kind of reading up a little bit on that. And what's the application personally? You know, because I want to always be a better better leader. Aggregation of incremental gains. What's the application to a church or a network? So um, that to me as a as a, a as an obsessive compulsive. I, I that's going to be awesome for me. I'm going to think about that for a week now. That's great. <laughs> Dave, he's got a conference coming up, uh, Exponential. Uh, what, yeah. what can you say about that? Uh, do we have a graphic on that, Sean? Uh, Exponential coming up, what is the third week in, in April? We'll have 50 different denominations and networks that also have their pre-conference there. It's um, We advertise it. I don't know if it's actually true, but we call it the largest church planning conference in the world. We may be stretching the truth. <laughs> but it's a, it, it's a blast. Um, probably everybody on the screen is going to be on the stage there. Um, so yeah, uh, you probably if you're going to register, you should register now because we actually I think we're going to we're going to sell out at six thousand. Um, wow. We'll probably do some things online that you can take advantage of, but you probably want to be in the house. And it's a it's a pretty cheap deal too. So it's exponential, and you can go to exponential.org, yep. and it's April twenty second through twenty fifth in Orlando. You got it. If you're not there, you're not cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jeff, uh, what's it for you? What have you read, written, seen recently you can't stop thinking about? Um, more recently, I was with, well, I was actually with these two guys um, in LA and having a conversation about uh, just the apostolic role in the church and in particular Ephesians 4 and how do we better embrace the equipping mandate given there. And so that's been, that came home to a our church, you know, read the Permanent Revolution by Alan Hirsch, as well as a book by David Devinish called Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission. 
um, our motivating movement, I think it's called, and really wrestling with how do we better structure so that we're equipping in a fivefold manner, uh, that we're really valuing apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and ex expecting that all of our missional communities are fully ex expressing that and fully being equipped in that. So that's that's really got our attention right now. We're spending a lot of time on how do we better equip in a much in a way that's going to lead to fullness of Christ, the maturity, the full um, picture of what He wants His body to be. So that's capturing us a lot and leading to a lot of discussions about how do we change some of our training, rethink some of our leadership, uh, even uh, rewire some of our structuring. So, is there any uh, anything you want to talk to us about as far as promoting uh, books or conference or anything like that that our our uh, watchers need to know about? Yeah, well, I do two conferences pretty much every year. The one is Exponential that already Dave already talked about, and and then the other is Verge. And uh, I think it's a great conference in Austin that is bringing a lot of this thought together. Some of the best thinkers and practitioners uh, will get to look, be there and to learn from. And so I'm, I love that conference, and Austin Stone Community hosts that. Michael Stewart kind of is the brainchild behind that. So that would be the other thing, and that's coming up real soon here. I think it's uh, the the end of it's like February 28th through March 2nd. So. Okay. Mike, same question. What, uh, what have you read, written, seen? Can yeah, I, I, I've been. Uh, I read weird stuff. So I go through when I'm writing. I'm generally reading something kind of fictional, and then when I'm not writing, I'm reading something non-fiction. So I've just literally signed off on the manuscript for the book that's going to be launched at Verge called Leading Kingdom Movements. And uh, I always feel nervous about that because I'm sure there's a spelling mistake somewhere. You know, it's a weird thing. So uh, so I've just signed off on that. And um, and that means that I'm into my weird reading phase. So I'm, I'm reading uh, s stuff by Nassim Taleb, who's, a, who's a, a risk management professor from New York. And he wrote this book called Anti-Fragility. And basically his premise is that there are fragile things that break under pressure. There are robust things that survive under moderate pressure. And there are anti-fragile things that actually grow under pressure. And um, missional communities are one of the things that grows under pressure. And of course, missional communities at the heart of a missional movement is something that's capable of growing in the midst of even persecution, because we've seen that several times in history. And so I've just been thinking about that quite a lot. And, um, you know, you think about tying in the first thing that we thought about, about the inauguration and the secularization of our state and the likelihood of people not kind of embracing our neck and giving us a, a warm kind of um, a warm welcome. We have history and a methodology that allows us to succeed in pressure rather than just try to survive in it. We're not trying to create a robust system that is surviving in pressure. We're creating a system that's going to thrive in it. That's good. That's good. For me, uh, Mike, you have drawn me into your weird reading from time. <laughs> and uh, I, I think you, you may have suggested this one, The Triumph of Christianity by Rodney oh, Stark. Amazing. How, how the Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion. Yeah. Uh, just fascinating to me. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Especially because Rodney is not one who drinks the Kool-Aid necessarily. Mm -hmm. And uh, a fascinating study. Um, also, uh, let me let me promote the All Access Conference, uh, which ARC is doing. 
it's it may not quite be the largest, but it's by far the best <laughs> out there. <laughs> Actually, you can go to both of these week after week, and it's great. I do that. I go to. I, I, I go, uh, do go to both. Yeah, but uh, all access will be April fifteenth through eighteenth in Jacksonville, and a great lineup of speakers. Um, um, all of the ARC lead team, Chris Hodges and Stovall Weems and uh, uh, a ton of us. And, and then uh, Rick Warren's going to be there. Bill Heibel's going to be there. Brian Houston's going to be there. Christine Kane. And uh, it's just it's, it's a fun conference and love to have you come. You can go to uh, All Access Conference. I don't even know what the website is. It's something like that. Just look, Google it. Hey, that's, that's how you do everything these days. I love theology. You don't know what it means. Google it. You can get it tell our church. Uh, learn yourself. All right, so um, uh, on the next ministry hangout, Sean, what do we have? Who's coming? Who's going to be a part? Yep, next ministry hangout will be February the 13th, and we're going to be talking about um, marriage in ministry. And so um, how do you protect your marriage? Um, how do you uh, guard against um, different things that we see assaulting pastors all the time? And so we're working on a few guests, hopefully going to have um, uh, them in with us, uh, that you'll be uh, extra um, blessed by to have them there. So we'll be getting the word out to everyone who registered for this particular um, hangout. You'll get the word about that as well as any new people will be able to register, and we'll, we'll start uh, blitzing that here in the next few days. You're hedging on our guests on me. Um, we've got <laughs> Who do we have? 99% we're sure, and then who do we have? Okay. 100%. Uh, we've got Pastor Jimmy and uh, Karen Evans are, are really, um, we're sure they're going to be here. Um, we have got the Eggrich who are going to be here as well, and then Brian Bloy hopefully is going to be with us. So that'll be kind of the lineup um, that will be on. Uh, and now that we've uh, prophetically said that, and you guys tweet and let them know you're really excited about seeing them, um, all of them will be sure to join us. That's oh, right. We're, we're prophetic here. Awesome. That's what we do. Emerson Eggrich with uh, love and respect. We recently had him for a marriage conference at the church. Great. The Evans are awesome. And Brian Bloy's my buddy. And uh, he's written a good book on that. All right. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you being here for our first, our first ministry hangout. I thought it went well. Yay. Good job, guys. All right. Good. All right. Thanks for the check. I'm expecting it through the post. Yeah, you betcha. Absolutely. <laughs>